Three, two, one. Wow, spot on, man. We're getting better at that. You like my voice? Yes, I do. Well, welcome, brother. Back I'm to another at podcast. The audio waves from my little like singing right there before we started this, and it's gonna just look, massively. It's off gonna the charts. confuse Marcus for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I know. He's impressive with the amount of things that we screw up, and then all of a sudden I hear it, and I'm like, wow, you couldn't tell it at all. And I know for a fact right here that there was a, a big old mess up, whether it was a camera or a microphone or something. Wait, did you just say he's impressed with the amount of things we can screw up? No. <laughs> Is that what I thought that's what you no, said? No, no. I'm like, man, I kind of am too. It was pretty crazy. The first couple episodes were very rocky. No, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the amount of things that he can fix and make it seem smoother than it actually is. And oh, we, we've it had, is. We've had, yeah. And, and I mean, it's funny because shoddy. when he forgets to fix like a little something like your white balance or something like that, we're like, oh, like that's what the video looks like before you mess with it. Oh my God. Yeah. The audio levels were like, that's what we sound like. Yeah. Just out of the, out of the mic. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, diving right into the episode, I wanted to ask you about something you brought up that was the theme of sort of self self applied limitations and and where you feel like it's affected you in your life and something recently that you did it was really interesting to hear you reflect on it and say that you never really thought of yourself as somebody who is like artsy or um, you know had that side to you because of the things you were good at and so it's almost like you told yourself well I'm good at all these things so I must not be good at things that are more you know in the field of art but then you had an experience this past week which was a really exciting one and you also seemed to me based on what you were talking to me about and how you were talking about the experience you had this also had this revelation of like okay i am good at these things and i can be good at these things um you know when i they sort of are integrated with the things that i like and 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 interested in so i'm curious to hear just about the way you've looked at that over the past what week now yeah yeah i have a lot of thoughts on it i'm actually excited to talk about this don't worry i'm not going to go on for like five or ten minutes on it but as a lot of you have probably seen i made a video called my life resume and what was driving the creation of that video was one of well somebody who i usually speak of as like my favorite person in the world which is jesse itzler and i say that because who he is and how he lives completely changed my life, undoubtedly. And so I made this video to try and get him to bring me into his life and help him build some of the stuff he has going on in his life. And I made this video and when I put it out, the feedback I got was just absolutely amazing. People were telling me like the video was so good. I was getting phone calls from people saying, dude, this is crazy. You made me feel like crap about my life. And, and, and like, it was just so fun to watch and it was so enjoyable and the editing was so good. And, you know, a lot of people probably look at somebody like a video editor, at least I do, as being an artistic person. I mean, Marcus, the person who edits our videos is very artistic. His photography is amazing. He's got gauges backwards hats always yes. huge peter mckinnon follower <laughs> yes yes that is marcus he's the definition of artistic and me 
I've always carried with me this label of you are not an artist. And I think it stems from the not being able to draw and not being able to paint very well. So I always just thought to myself, I'm not an artist, you know, I'm, I'm good in school and I'm, I'm decent at sports and, you know, I like to do a lot of sports and, 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 and I'm good at math and stuff like that, but you're, you're just not artistic. Like those two things don't come together, you know, being good at math and engineering and being artistic are not things that can coexist in somebody. That's the label that I had for some reason, even though I did win first place in a photography competition in high school, I still carried that label. And so over time, I, I, I've made some videos and stuff, but then I made this one and, and I was talking to my mom about it. She's like, you really have a knack for this. And it was so crazy that this is what it took for me to realize that I put the label on myself. But she goes, my dad wasn't in my life, but he was an unbelievable artist. His ability to draw is insane. He can look at a picture of somebody and draw it and it will literally look like you stuck it in a black and white printer if he drew it with a pencil. He's an unbelievable artist. And when she, she goes, yeah, you know, your dad is obviously a really good artist. And for whatever reason, it took that, like that reason for me, it, it took a reason for me to believe that I could be artistic. And the reason was, oh, it's in my genes. Yeah. I, I, I can be artistic. I, I can label myself as artistic because my dad was artistic. Why, why do we have to have a reason to be something? Why, why do we have to be qualified to do something and be something? Why do we need some external qualification? And, and the truth is, I do believe I'm artistic. Like at my core, I was talking to Bonnie about this a couple weeks ago and you seemed kind of happy about it because it would only add to becoming hybrid. I was like, man, I think I would really enjoy editing our videos and stuff like that. It's just something I enjoy. I enjoy uh, creating and putting the story together. And you're like, oh, well, cool. If you want to do that, like do it, you know? And, and I'm excited to get better with the camera and just tell a story with the camera. And that is really artistic. And so where I've been thinking lately is like, what does make you qualified to do something? Because I've done a lot of things in my life. You've done a lot of things in your life. And Jesse Itzler has done a lot of things in his life. And none of us, the, the, I mean, the key to Jesse Itzler's story, the thing that sums up Jesse Itzler is doing things that he has no experience uh, doing. And there's a lot of things that you and I have done, coffee, roasting, or me getting into cheerleading randomly, you getting into cheerleading, me just randomly going into marathons and ultra running and, and all this stuff that, that we really have no qualifications or no business or no family genes or no family influence or personal influence to get us into those things. We don't have those reasons. So I guess I want, I want to hear like your thoughts on what makes you qualified to do something. What is it? Is it money? Is it experience? Is it your mom or dad did it and is good at it? Why do we need those things for us to believe that we can do those things? Why do we need something external to tell us that we can do it? Yeah, that's, it's a really interesting thing to look at. It labels are a really interesting topic because my question is really, this is just sort of a rhetorical question is, what what is a label and when is it applied and how does it impact somebody because you had said you sort of labeled yourself as not an artist because of the things that you were good at you found it hard to believe that they could mesh you know the world of engineering and something very like science based and art you're talking about opposites you know like science is like the antithesis of art in some ways you know in others they are similar and you'll find areas where they cross over 
But interestingly enough, I think labeling yourself is dangerous in the sense that, or I should say counterproductive in the sense that you are limiting what you could do just in the thought of something. And and I'll expand on that because what I mean by that is let's say you're sitting in a math class in eighth grade or seventh grade and it's your first introduction to something like algebra where numbers start getting more complicated and you have a bad teacher. You might go, okay, I am not good at math. I hate numbers. I never want to do anything involved in math. And then you learn, and honestly, I'm kind of talking about myself. I hated math. Well, fast forward, math makes sense to me when it's in money. And I don't say that to be like, oh, I'm all about money. But math makes sense to me when I'm talking in terms of finances. My classes in corporate finance, they all make sense. It's complicated math, technically complicated math, but it just makes sense. And I have always labeled myself as somebody who's not good at math because of my upbringing in school in my experience as a math class. But so here I am, though, finding something that I really like, like business. And of course, math is a part of that. And so I found a way to actually be good at the thing I didn't think I was because it's connected with something else that I'm passionate about and am good at. And I think the art on you know your story, it's the same thing. You uh, weren't I was, necessarily- I, you, you made me realize that as you were talking. I was, if you weren't gonna say it, I was gonna say it like, whoa, like yeah. it's my story. Like, you know, I thought I wasn't an artist because I couldn't draw, but I found a way to yes. connect with my creative right. side, which is really the right. key of artistry, right? Just being creative. and Yes, and that's where I feel like the true limitation of a label comes in because you might be, uh, you know, shorting yourself on something you could be really good at just because it is- you're doing it in the wrong capacity. So you might be good at math in a different capacity. And that's a realization I had when I started getting into uh, more, I guess I guess just started finding myself doing more math, but in terms of finance and going, wait a second, I thought I was terrible at math. This is more difficult math than I've ever done, but all makes sense to me. So that's one specific example. I feel like I have a lot of different examples in other areas of my life, but people definitely... I think short themselves for that reason. It's not just the label inherently, um, but really the way that it sort of uh, shifts the way you think about something. It just limits your your outlook on that thing, you know. And I think I think it's probably unavoidable to end up trapped by a label at some point. I think we all at some point in our lives get trapped by a label. It's kind of funny that you mentioned the one that got you because when we talked about this the other day, you couldn't think of one. And I'm so glad you did because you're helping me prove my point. I think we all get trapped by labels at some point. And where I'm going with that is I wish I could remember I had such a good place to take that. Um, oh gosh, it's <laughs> I gone. Dude. I had... I had such a good place to go with that, and it's gone. It, it'll definitely come back. I was going to say, I'll jump in, but I don't want to take the idea from you. I No, I wanted to... Oh, it's so close. I wanted to throw out an idea for you, and I really wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Yeah. But man, you're just going to have to go for a second, and okay. I'll, I'll think about this. I was going to say, I feel like... I don't know exactly... I can't pinpoint the time in my life. I got it. It's back. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's back. Jump back in. Okay. So here, here's the revelation I had. I believe it was today. I don't think, well, one, you can't break down the the chains and the barriers of a label. And two, you can't truly learn about yourself, who you are, and what you are truly capable of until you do something different and you do something that you truly believe you can't do. 
So for me, I didn't learn that I was creative and artistic until I did something creative and artistic. Yeah, I did it kind of on accident, thank God, because now I can believe in myself whenever I'm going to do something creative and artistic. Or another thing was when my mom told me, hey, get all your grades above 95%. I said, that's impossible. And then I did it. And that unlocked a whole new world for me. I'm like, whoa, if I can do that, how far can I take school? And then I graduate top of my class in college. Jesse Isler talked about this and I, I got him on this on the video. I put this specific quote of him on the video. He said, David Goggins, you know, I did, he did like five or six pull-ups and Goggins said, all right, you're going to do a hundred more. And Jesse was like, what? He's like, we're not leaving until you do a hundred more. And Jesse's like, that's impossible. I can't. He said, well, we're not leaving. And they stayed there and he got did I say a hundred? I hope I said a hundred. Um, I, I was, yeah. Okay. He said, you're going to do a hundred more. And so he ended up getting the hundred pull-ups. And what Jesse says is, you know, he only did six and then he ended up doing 100 in the same night, same arms, same person. And he said, if I'm under indexing by a hundred pull-ups, what other areas of my life am I under indexing in? And until you get pushed in that way, and it doesn't have to be physical, and it doesn't have to be super strenuous, but until you get pushed in a new way, I feel like you will not under, you won't notice the labels that are on you, and you won't notice in your life where you are truly under indexing. And that is what is so beautiful about what we want to do with Becoming Hybrid, do something different. Because it doesn't always have to be super hard, but if you do something different, you will learn about yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of lessons to be taken away from even insignificant, seemingly insignificant things that are that are different. They have large impacts. They can have large impacts because all it takes, like you said, under-indexing by 100 pull-ups. Okay, you did 100 pull-ups, but that makes you stop and wonder, I was fully convinced I couldn't do that, but I did. You know, let's look at a larger thing in my life that I might be limiting because of a belief or some preconceived notion, you know, a self-imposed limitation. And it's it's really interesting to see, to, to hear that story from Jesse, just because somebody of that caliber, you know, has clearly already has the mindset of an experience of I can really do anything that I want to. And I, I really am a limitless individual. We all are. We're limited. Truly, we're limited sure there's externalities but mostly internally and then we start to find the externalities that um you know we created in a sense in our own heads and in a label you know is exactly that until you can experience otherwise you keep running into that same limitation of that label that you put on yourself man you hit the nail on the head dude right before we started podcasting just about 30 minutes ago i was, I was thinking about that i was thinking you know i asked myself the question i said what makes us qualified to do something, right? Like what would make me an artist or what would make us qualified to create Becoming Hybrid? What makes you qualified to become a, a cheerleader? And then I think you were the cheer captain at Florida State, right? If you weren't, you ran the show like you were. Uh, what makes you qualified to be a coffee roaster? And I thought about it, I thought about it, and there's only one thing and it's your mind. Your mind is the only thing that makes you qualified to do anything. Not a piece of paper, not another person, not your genes, not your parents. Your mind is what makes you qualified. And once you make the decision that you are qualified to do something, then you have to learn the skills to do it and then do it. And once you realize that, that you, you don't have to wait for somebody else to tell you and give you permission that you're allowed to do something if you kind of want to do it, I, I think that's when your life starts to look like 
like Jesse's and your life starts to look like really what we want ours to continue to look like and continue to build on where you do all these different things because there really is no reason not to. The only reason not to is if you don't want to and you don't feel like it. And right. that's it. Right. And, and the, I think it's a super significant portion of that. What comes after understanding that you really are limited by, you know, your beliefs, your system of beliefs and what you think you're capable of doing, it it comes, we talked about this before, finding the thing that energizes you because you might be doing something in the wrong capacity. So it's not necessarily out of your, um, you know, sphere of, 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 you know, I guess competence would be the best word. Um, but it's not in the capacity that you are truly interested in or energized by. And it might turn you off of that thing where, whereas if you were to do that same task in a different capacity, Context, yeah, something like in a that, different, that yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Something that aligns more with who you are and what resonates with you and fulfills you, you know, a completely different thing than, than you could find yourself exceeding your expectations because it's just a matter of how you were doing that thing. And I, that was and a it's really the why it's the why behind exactly, why you're doing exactly. that. Thing. It was a really hard, uh, that was not the best um, elaboration on that or explanation, but yeah, doing something like, like I was talking about, I'll just use this analogy again because, because it's, it's, um, it's the best one I can think of right now is, is me not being good at math and thinking I'm not good at math and then, you know, getting into business and having to understand finance and then being like, wait a second, these numbers make sense to me. I always thought that I was terrible at math, but it was just the integration of, you know, one topic or concept with another. And that one thing I was truly passionate about helped me, you know, exceed or perform in an area that I thought I wasn't capable of. So I think when you when you navigate through life, it's it's uh, you know this is what we've said before. It's combining your strengths and your your skills with your passions. That's truly where I feel like you're able to break through and drop all the labels that you have set on yourself throughout your life. And you never would have discovered that you could actually work with numbers had you not done something new and experienced yeah. something new because your past told you that you weren't good at numbers. When about a year ago, I was on night shift for six weeks. I was working 13 hour night shifts for six weeks. I got about one day off every two weeks. And during that time, I did not go to the gym one time. I don't even think I went for a run during that entire six week period. So that's what it is. When you're on night shift, and you're working 13 hours, you don't work out, you don't run, you just sleep and you work and, and you go home. And that's it. Well, fast forward four or five months, freeze comes through Texas. And right before the freeze came through and it started snowing and stuff, uh, I started 75 hard. And in 75 hard, for those of you that don't know, you have to work out twice a day. Each workout has to be at least 45 minutes and one of them has to be outside. And on top of that, you have to read 10 pages a day, drink a gallon of water, take a progress picture every day, and... No alcohol, right? And it, oh, yeah. No alcohol with uh, some diet that you decide you want to do, whatever it is. So there's a lot to it. The bit, the hardest thing is, is, I mean, for some people, it's diet. For me, it's the 245 minutes a day because that's just a lot of time that's two showers unless you don't shower in between, which sometimes you, you don't, and then you learn how to be more efficient with your time. So I start 75 hard. And a couple days later, the freeze comes through Texas. So it goes from, 
you know, I don't know, 30s and 40s to 10 degrees. There's snow everywhere. I don't have water. I have to drink a gallon a day, a gallon of water a day, and I don't have water at the house. I have to work out twice a day, and I don't have electricity water. So I'm not showering. I don't have lights. The gym, can't go to the gym. The gym in my apartment's black. I had to go. I wanted to be on the weights six days a week during 75 hard, and I believe every single week I had at least six days on the weights. So I had to go get the weight in. I had to go work out in the dark in my apartment. I had to go to my gym and buy water bottles because I had to get my gallon in, and I didn't have any lights, and I couldn't shower. And so I have all this crazy stuff. Meanwhile, you know, even beyond the night shift, I was probably working out three days a week for, and, and why wasn't I working out the other days? I had reasons. I had excuses. Meanwhile, I'm in the most insane circumstances ever where you probably shouldn't be doing anything. And I'm still getting two 45 minute workouts in a day. Well, the freeze comes through rocks my plan. I'm a chemical engineer, rocks the plant. And when stuff starts going wrong with the plant, you got to go in. So they say, Hey Ryan, you're coming in. And I knew I was probably going to be there uh, probably about two weeks is what I, I thought. And, and it turned out to be two to three weeks on night shift. Again, 12 hour night shifts. I called my mom. I said, Hey, I should probably, it's day nine. And I'm like, Hey, I, I should probably stop 75 hard now because there's just no way I'm going to be able to do it. And we talked about it for a second and we both agreed. We we're like, eh, you know what? Like, quitting doesn't really make sense. Like, why not just go until you can't know more? And so I'm like, okay, so I'm kind of figuring out how I'm going to do this. I roll in onto these 12 hour night shifts and I make it through the entire two and a half weeks doing two 45 minute workouts a day in the craziest circumstances ever, not even having time to prepare. It's like, boom, you're going to have to come into the plant and do this and, and help us get started. And I could have looked at my, I actually, I tried to look at my past experiences with the last turnaround where I didn't work out one time. And I tried saying, you can't work out when you're on 12 hour night shifts. And I tried to let that label and that past experience define what was going to happen in the next. But then I was like, you know what? Let me try something new. Let me just try it and see. And it worked out and I finished 75 hard. 75 days of all the things I just, yeah. It, that was the craziest revelation for me is, if I'm under indexing by 100 pull-ups, for me, it's like if I'm under indexing by two workouts a day on 12-hour night shifts, where else am I not, where else am I BSing myself about not having the time? Yeah. And how, so how many times during that period did you have a mental argument with yourself as to whether or not that was going to be the day that you stopped doing 75 hard? How many times throughout those? those 75 days in specifically in that two and a half week period. Oh, in that two and a half week period. Um, in that two and a half week period, it, what I, from memory, I only remember one time and I, I was going to quit. I was going to quit. I, I actually made the decision to quit. It was like six 30 in the morning. I had just got from home from work and I was sitting on my couch and it was thundering and lightning. And I'm like, this is where it ends because I hadn't done my outside workout yet. And I'm like, this is where it ends. Like, I'm not going to risk my life to do it. And I sat there, but I hadn't got my 10 pages of reading in yet either. And so I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I just like my mom saying, hey, just keep going until you absolutely have to quit. And so that's why I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pick up my book. I'm going to read my 10 pages and then I'm going to see what the weather looks like. And I picked up the book and I read the 10 pages and the weather was still crappy, but I just kind of like, you know what? Screw it. Like, I maybe I'm risking my life, but I'm just going to go do it. And the truth was like, it, it wasn't really about risking my life. I mean, it was a pretty wicked storm, but once I got out there, I think I saw somebody else like running or something. Cause it was the morning, you know, people are running in the morning. I saw that and I was like, 
oh no, like I can't, I cannot believe I almost quit. Like I was like almost sick to my stomach about it. Like, like, are you serious? Like this dude's not doing 75 hard probably, but he's out here running and you made this commitment and you've come so far and you're almost going to quit over some weather. Like that's the point. That's the point. And, and I know Andy doesn't, uh, you know, condone going out and risking your life in a lightning storm, but, but that's the point, you know, and, 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 in, in the span of 75 hard, I almost quit probably like five or 10 times. Which is really interesting because I feel like people sort of look at that kind of stuff and almost have like a negative connotation. They think it has a negative connotation of like, you got to do this extreme thing and why would you do that? It's not necessary. But really the point of 75 hard, the way people spin it, I think is another excuse of, oh, that's just too much though. Like that's kind of ridiculous. Andy talked about that on his story today actually. He's like, look, if you don't like the program, don't do it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, a lot of people... When they look at something like that, I think the the difference in mindset is some people would look at that and say, that's absolutely insane. Why would you ever do that? That's unnecessary. But at the same time, those are the same people who make excuses day in and day out. And I'm not saying that they necessarily are large excuses or excuses for significant things. But those but little excuses add up. Just exactly. like little wins add up, little little daily wins add up, little excuses add up as well. And they result in you not working out for an entire six weeks because you don't have yes. the time. Yes. And so when you look at where you are in life and you really assess where you are and then think about where you want to be, the question becomes... Well, whose fault is it if you're not where you want to be? And if you look back and are real with yourself, chances are it's small excuses throughout the throughout the course of time that ultimately ended up keeping you from truly achieving what you wanted to achieve. And and maybe you didn't maybe it was in the goal setting process that you that you messed up. But that, you know, that's a whole nother topic. But the lessons learned from 75 hard I can only imagine how what a positive impact that had as far as you knowing how to dedicate yourself to something learn discipline and persistence and achieve what it is that you set out to do in the face of as much adversity as you could arguably have oh in that for sure. that lesson I just is is something I wish more people would look at and not go oh that's that's the extreme and and you don't have to do that to understand discipline and and but at the you same time you do though you do yeah, you do it does you take to. something like that it's, it does it's easy to say all of these things about Until working out and being dedicated and being somebody who knows what discipline is and then and then come the inconveniences then come the externalities and then it's a different thing then it's oh well yeah no but this is different <laughs> This situation's different. I can't do what I said I was going to do because of it's like no 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 that's all the same stuff. It's ne how often are you in a life or death situation where you truly have to decide between the two to do what it is you said you were going to do. 0.001% of the time, you know? It's 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 no, crazy. No, look, you you made a really you really good point. You kind of you kind of brought it back around to what we were saying earlier where it's like we just said you won't realize you're making those excuses until you get put in a situation that points them out. And just like we just said 10 minutes ago, you have to do something new to realize all of those areas in your life where you're truly missing out. And 75 hard is one of those things for me pointed out about 15 different areas in my life that I was under indexing as Jesse Itzler would say. And it undoubtedly changed my life forever. And I, I say this to you all the time. We would not be on this podcast right now if I didn't do 75 hard. We wouldn't be doing Becoming Hybrid. I, we, it wouldn't 
have happened. It won't be happening because what will, why? Like, what about 75 hard did that for me? For me, it was the books I read. The books I read, I, I read four hour work week and it completely changed my perspective on how you can organize your life and how you can actually really change the way you work and do things to make your life look the way you want it to. And, and then meanwhile, while I'm doing 75 hard, I've got Andy Frisella in my ear with all these entrepreneurial conversations and stuff like that. And so had I not been introduced to him and had I not done 75 hard, we wouldn't be here because I wouldn't even know how to think about doing something like becoming hybrid. Like what does starting a business even mean? And it just, it, it changed my life in so many ways. And, and I discovered so many things. And, and just to bring up uh, you know, we, we just talked about some of the crazy circumstances I had while I was on 75 hard, you know, something I didn't even mention was I drove 14 hours one day from Florida to Texas, still got my two workouts in. I, I almost died on an airboat, like me and, and my cousins almost died. Somebody almost died on an airboat. It was crazy. And I, I, I didn't have socks. My socks were wet. And I think my underwear was wet as well. And I had to go to the gym after. And I went to the gym without any socks on and wet underwear after almost dying. And it was, and I did, you think I want to go to the gym after that? Don't be wrong. I wasn't really sad. Like we're all thankful. Hey, everybody's okay. Nobody actually got hurt, but it was still like, a, a, I was feeling really weird after that. So I went through like a lot. I had a wedding, so I couldn't drink at the wedding. Now I'm not a huge drinker anyway, but for most people that I, I have my birthday, my favorite thing in the world is sweets and I couldn't have sweets on my birthday. That almost got me to quit. I was like, you know what? I've gotten enough out of 75 hard. I should just have an ice cream cake today because oh, I feel like I've such gotten a huge. That's such. I don't want to cut off the story. That is such a huge thing right there. I want you to hold on to that. That sort of like, oh, I've gotten enough out of X, Y, and Z. I've gotten enough out of that diet. I've gotten enough out of the workout plan. I've been good enough on my diet. I deserve fill in the blank. It, it, dude, that gets me, man. That it's gets funny me. that that strikes a chord with you because Right before the podcast, I sent you, I'm always talking about stuff that happened right before the podcast. I sent you a video. I said, hey man, this is going to be in my ear. And it was uh, a Jesse Insler interview. Jesse, it's our interview. It was the one that changed my life. And he brings up in there how when he was living with monks, he was thinking to himself, you know what? Like I I've gotten enough out of this. I can stop after day seven. And he's talking about no. And what he says is, you know, that first 95%, right around the 95% mark is when everybody quits. But that lot, that last 5% is where you actually get the real knowledge and you really get the real experience and the stuff that actually changes your life. And, and it's just crazy to think like during 75 hard, I had that moment on my birthday. I'm like, you know what, man, just have the ice cream cake, quit 75 hard. It's been like 35 days at this point. It's like, dude, you're good, man. You learned the lessons. You went through night shift. You went through the, the freeze, not having any water, not being able to shower. You're working out twice a day. You can't even shower, dude. You went through all that, man. You learned the lessons. And man, I am so, so thankful that I didn't stop there yeah well interestingly enough this what has helped me and i like to consider myself somebody who doesn't stop at that 95 percent consciously i try to make a conscious effort to push through to the end of something but interestingly enough i want to take that back not the end because i love the way david goggins says it there is no end when you adopt the lifestyle of pursuing the things that you want to and you're creating your own life, there's no end. There's no there's no final place where you're like, oh, I crossed the finish line. There's it never 
you never make it there. There, there. It doesn't exist. And it's because it's a lifestyle of you constantly trying to improve and move on to the best, the next best thing. Well, building on the past, but interestingly enough, the way that I just, it resonated with me when he said that, like everybody's working, everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody's working towards retirement. Everybody's working towards something. And he goes, I'm sorry to tell you all, there's nothing there. If you are on the journey of entrepreneurship and trying to build something, he goes, you're never going to, you never reach it. It's not there. It doesn't exist. So you have to love the journey. You have to love what you're doing, the pursuit, the chase, the grind, you could call it. And that's such an interesting phenomenon. Like it doesn't stop, which is why I, we preach love what you do, find what you're passionate about because it doesn't end. There's no finish line. And it's, it's kind of a crazy thing to think about. It is. It is. And I've been kind of thinking about that a lot lately because when I ran my marathons, it truly was for the accomplishment. And I ran the marathon. And then when I ran my ultra, it was 31 miles. It was the accomplishment. And then I stopped. I didn't run again for like many, many years. I think the first time I ran again was, oh, I ran that, that marathon without training. But then later on, I just stopped because it was all about like just doing the accomplishment. And now that I'm training for this 50 miler and I'm actually enjoying the training before when I trained for my first marathon, I I didn't really enjoy the training. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, but I wasn't enjoying the running. I was just doing the running so that I could do the marathon and, and, and have it behind me and be a marathoner and be an ultra marathoner. But now that I'm training for this 50 miler, I actually, because I've changed the way I'm training, I'm actually in finding joy in the training. And part of it is because I, I look at the training as a, a time to meditate and it's, it's kind of my meditation, but, but, but beyond that, but even beyond that, now that I'm training better, I'm not in constant pain. The, every single time I go for a run, it's so odd. I was just telling you this, that I found that I'm actually looking forward to going and running. And now I'm thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, I could be a true ultra marathoner for the rest of my life because it's no longer, it's not about the accomplishment. Like I don't, I don't want to run 50 miles. It's not really about saying that I, I could run 50 miles. It's like about the process of like training for it and then doing it. And it's going to be huge. And I'm probably going to cry when it's over. I cried at the end of my first marathon. It, it was a crazy, overwhelming sense of emotion to accomplish that. But it was, it, it came from the heart. It didn't even come from my mind. I wasn't consciously thinking. And I, I know that that's going to happen, but that's not, for me, it's not what it's about. I, I'm so, so thankful that I've now started to enjoy the process. And I want to make sure that whenever I do things in my life, that it's about enjoying the process. The accomplishments are awesome and they inspire people and they keep you moving for bigger and bigger accomplishments and they keep the journey moving forward. But now that I'm enjoying the process, dude, it's changed running for me, man. It's it's awesome. And I do have hard days. Today was a hill day. It was a hard day. I almost threw up, but I knew the next day is going to be more enjoyable today and I'm getting faster right now and I'm I'm releasing the energy that I need to because we all need a day where we just hammer it out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I use the same. The gym for me is a time to just literally think about what I'm doing in that moment. I actually just reconnected with a good buddy of mine when I was out in Texas. Um, unexpectedly, Bryce Marshall. So shout out to Bryce. Good dude. And he's a monster now. He's huge. He's been lifting his brother, Zach Marshall, I cheered with. 
uh, for a little bit at Florida State, and he he was a big dude always. But Bryce started working out, and one thing that he said that him and I really like connected on was like the focus on mind muscle connection in the gym. And I'm sure there's something similar in running where you are literally trying to just think about consciously using the muscle you're trying to use and the yes. impact that that has. It's on been the happening lately. I'm like like workouts. I'm moving. I'm like man. I'm like I'm I'm going somewhere. Like yeah. like we're moving. Like my body, we're moving. And, and Courtney DeWalter talks about how it's so cool how far you can go on your feet. And I've been experiencing that lately. Like man, this is this is kind of cool. And it's 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 surreal because it's like I never. Who thinks they're ever going to enjoy the act of running? Yeah, it feels good after. We all enjoy how we feel after. But but in the in the right. process, like I was on the phone <laughs> with my mom today. I just started running. I'm like, man, I can't believe like I was really wanting this, dude. I've I've had a complete. I've had a weird shift in the way that that I've worked out as well. I've had this weird sort of love of the act of working out. Whereas, like you just said, normally I'm doing something and I'm like, son of a bitch, this burns really bad and it hurts. But I've actually now I'm so conscious of my workouts that. I'm thinking about that muscle that I'm targeting. I'm thinking about the full range of motion and targeting the insertion point and I can feel it stretch and then I feel it contract all the way and I'm like, wow, this is like, this is just anatomy and physiology and I'm just a a skeletal with, a skeleton with muscle attached and I'm moving it, pulling this weight and I, it sounds, that sounds so weird to say but the amount of, uh, like I said, positive impact that that has. I just, I love it in, while I'm working out, even though it burns and it hurts. <laughs> I think, I think where this is kind of going is just being conscious, intentional, and just present in the moment in what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, when they run, a girl said this to me the other day. She's like, yeah, I don't run with people. Like I like to have music in my ears and just tune out what I'm doing. And and for me, it's like lately, which is weird. Trust me, I've not always been like this, guys. I've been enjoying the act of moving my legs and running. And it's the weirdest thing. Just like you in the gym. Like I rarely enjoy like at the act of moving weight in the gym. But I bet if I got more intentional about it and I was more conscious of each individual movement, I would enjoy it more. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because you're so dang present and you're so present on something so specific that takes you away from all of your anxieties. It's kind of like you play guitar. A lot of people play guitar. They play the guitar. It's like all they can think about. That's what my buddy says. Man, I love to play the guitar because I can't worry about anything when I'm playing the guitar. And it's almost like if you can find that in, in other things, especially exercise, you can experience like enjoyment out of those things that suck. Yeah, and to me, the mindset has been beneficial in that I've also limited the amount of weight that I move because I'm so conscious of what I'm doing. I can feel when something doesn't feel right. I might be moving the weight totally fine. I might be safe. I might have proper technique, but I'm like, you know what? It does not feel how I want it to be feeling. And Thera has come up to me and actually been like, dude, I'm impressed with your lack of ego in the gym. Like, I know you could lift heavier weights, but he goes, it takes a big man to not do it just to do it. And I'm like, honestly, you've taught me what I should feel. That's what I'm going for. I don't care if that's 25 pounds or 50 pounds. I'm gonna do what feels better. And it's, it's actually been a very liberating thing, but I will, I'm going to, this is going to be a weird segue right here, but to tie that into the way that let's we, go the, the, yeah, to what we've been talking about as far as like the, you know, self-implied limitations, I think being conscious in the things you do help you understand 
what you were doing at a deeper level. And if you feel like there's dissonance in something that you're doing, like we started this conversation out with, there might be something there that you need to unpack. And instead of just being unfocused and let's say kind of sleepwalking through a nine to five job because it's, it's, you know, keeping the lights on, maybe you should ask yourself, you know, pay more attention to it. Don't push it to the side. Don't put the earbuds in and just ignore it and just keep running or lifting weights. Like actually try to focus on what you're doing. And you'll probably be like, why am I doing this? I really don't understand. And then could help you start to reassess what you're doing at, at, you know, in certain things and then maybe make a change and do something different and try to find that, you know, crossing of your strengths and your passions. I have a couple different thoughts on that. One is a revelation that I had while when I first started enjoying running. So in order to be a a really good distance runner, you're typically going to be putting anywhere from like 50 to 80 miles in a week. Eventually, when I ran my first marathon, I don't think I had one week over 30 miles because all my runs were just hard. Every run was hard to do. Like I said, it wasn't horrible, but they were all hard to do and they weren't enjoyable. Now, I haven't really been running much in the past couple months. I got a 30 or maybe 28 miles or 30 miles or something like that in just the other week on very little training. I never got that high of mileage when I was training for my marathon when I was actually training for my marathon in four months and I've only been in the game for three weeks. So where I'm going with this is what I used to say was, oh, they're just good runners. They, they're just super in shape. That's why they can run 60 miles a week. But the truth was I was just running wrong. I was just running incorrectly. It's not that they're so much different than me. Oh, they've just been doing it since since eighth grade. And so they ha- they've built up the, the tolerance to be able to run 60 miles a week. No, I was running too fast. I was running too fast. And it goes back to the ego thing. I had to slow my pace down. When I was in 75 hard, I was running like between like 7.15 and 8 minutes towards the end of 75 hard, booking it on every run. And I was running like four times a week. Now, my runs are typically averaging like 10 and a half minutes per mile, but I'm getting 30 miles in per week. And I know based on the research that I've done that over time, that pace is going to get faster and faster at the same heart rate, at the same feeling of enjoyment while I run. My point with that is, I labeled myself by looking at other people and assuming that they had something I hadn't. I put a label on myself saying I had something that, that, or I didn't have something that they did have. And it could have cost me from, it could have resulted in me never running another marathon or ultra marathon again. And thankfully I did something new. I I was like, okay, I've kind of always wanted to run a 50 miler. So you know what? I'll commit to doing it because I've kind of wanted to do it. And it would be a great thing to do with becoming hybrid. Thankfully, I did something new, made a little change in my life, and now I've discovered something that I really think will probably be with me for the rest of my life. And so, gosh, what was the point that you just made? Um, I was just saying digging that sort of conscious effort in the things you do is a good way to unpack what it is you're doing and actually understand it because you might actually find that if you're struggling with something or you don't, you don't seem to like what you're doing that instead of just you know continuing on and ignoring it uh that if you actually dig into it and understand it it's kind of your point about the running and me with the with the weightlifting it hurts but if you understand why you're doing it it's you know sure those things are physical it's almost like by understanding it and digging deeper it makes it better and if there's something that you feel like you enjoy but there's some dissonance in it like understanding it and having a why 
Um, you know, there's a few things that we could lump in there, but just that conscious effort, I think, might you know, is a very helpful thing to have. It's very beneficial. I'm all about starting with why. I think it's a great thing, but you do discover your whys along the way as well. Like with 75 hard, I looked, oh yeah, there's a, like these things that could definitely change my life. But as I went through, I started discovering more and more whys. And honestly, I've been, it's kind of been on my heart lately to maybe do it again. At first when we started doing hybrid, I'm like, I won't have time for that. But that's, that's, that's the BS. That's that's what's not true. Because I find myself slipping. I find myself eating out a lot. I find myself the fun, the most ironic thing ever I'm going to say right now is I find myself not having enough time to do all the things that I want to do in a week. And it's funny that my solution is add more. But when I did 75 hard, I had more time than I had ever had. And there were some times I had to sacrifice like seeing certain friends and stuff at certain times. And it was sad, but I found myself on a daily basis on average, I was getting way more done even outside of the 75 hard things. And so that's why I'm kind of like, maybe you need to do it again so you could kind of figure out what those little things were that, that you may have forgotten, things that have slipped, so. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, it's it's interesting. And and having those, bringing it back to labels, you know, that's, um, it's really easy when you're starting anything new to have some sort of label. And a lot of the times I think it's probably subconscious just because of, like you said, we see people doing things. You've seen people who are long distance runners and you think that's a long distance runner and that's not me. So when we are in, you're exposed to everything nowadays through social media. So it's, it's really important. We've talked about this before as well to help, I guess, negate uh, the labeling or those sort of self-imposed limitations or combat them. You have to make sure that as, as you consume all of this uh, it, seeing all these fantastic athletes and people who do all these things on social media, you have to understand it's really important to understand who you are and to find your why in what you do. Uh, it, it really takes you understanding who you are first because you won't really know why you want to do something if you don't even know you know who Ryan Robertson is. Like that, That's a, a key in, in establishing your why and then really, in, in my opinion, dodging a lot of those labels and, and self-imposed limitations. Well, not only understanding who you are, but also understanding what determines who you aren't. And it's your mind. It's you. You are the one that determines what you aren't. And ultimately, when you label yourself and you tell yourself what you aren't, those are the things that are going to cause you to miss out on the opportunities and cause you to live a life that you don't want to really be living because, well, I'm not an entrepreneur. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried anything? Like, Have you ever learned about it a little bit? Like, do you know what it means? I, I didn't know what it means until we started doing this. And it's actually the way I view entrepreneurship now and the way I like to talk about it. I don't like to tell people that like I want to start a business and I want to be an entrepreneur. What I tell people is, I, I'm driven to create, I want to create something. And, and that's how I look at it. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said that because I just had this conversation. So I had, I had a a call with my group for one of my classes, it management, and we were talking, we had met for the first time. And one of the people in my group said, I was asking like, what do you guys do? And I literally kind of stumbled for a second. Cause I was like, they were like, well, where they, they framed, they said this, where do you work? And I was like, 
<laughs> I was like, well, I, I was like, well, I work for myself actually. And it was, they were like, like, what do you do? What, what is your career? And I was like, I, I'm an entrepreneur. Like it's, it's weird to say because it's almost become this overused term. Like everybody calls himself an entrepreneur, but I was like my income the income that I earn is from businesses I run. It's 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 all the income that I earn is self-earned income. So I, you know, by definition, an entrepreneur, but it was, it's almost like it's still, I've owned a business since my sophomore year of college. It's still like an identity crisis for me to call myself an entrepreneur. I, it, and, and so I can only imagine how people feel about moving into foreign disciplines and trying to adopt them and accept it. It's difficult especially because it's still to truly be an entrepreneur sort of goes against the grain of society where especially somebody like myself who has a you know is going to have a master's degree at the end of the year that's not what I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to be working you know some sort of uh, high level position in management at a corporation or you know some sort of job like that and and I'm not and people I feel like get thrown off when they hear what I actually do they're like oh interesting <laughs> and it makes me go yeah that is interesting but it's it's a really interesting you know that is a label that I I feel like I actually have somewhat applied to myself that like I'm not truly an entrepreneur but I I am it's 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 really weird to think about it like that yeah it is really weird because you do have a couple different things going on yeah I you were talking about how you know people ask you like what you do and what your job is and just last night I met this girl and then we were messaging on Instagram a little bit because she saw my profile she's like gosh you do everything you do all these things and she asked I was like I said something like yeah I just like to just I said said something along the lines of I I only want to do the things I want to do with my life and she's like well is that like what you do for work and I thought about it and I'm like not right now but it will be in a few months yeah like like yes that's what i do now and in a few months it's going to be the only thing i do is yes is creating the life and doing the things that i want to do and it was it was kind of wild to me that she connected those dots that that's where my life was heading and i'm only going to do things i want to do and and it's exciting man and i'm i'm thankful for what we're doing here um this was such a good conversation. This was awesome. It was a good this, conversation. This was good. We had a little bit of deviated from the topic at hand, but I also feel like a lot of the things we talked doesn't about. Matter. No, it doesn't matter. They came out naturally. I mean, the conversation that we had, I don't even know where we started talking about like running and bodybuilding or working out, but that was, uh, it just happened. It was a very natural transition. So, it, you know, the conversation, the conversation, I, I thought it was a really good one too. Um, it was very candid and a lot of the things that we talked about tonight, I didn't expect, but in a way, a lot of this stuff is, is integrated in everything that we do is. outside of, of, outside of, you know, becoming hybrid, which is, which is what the life, when, what they mean when they say lifestyle, it's not, it's not a job or career. It really is a lifestyle because it is, you're, you're essentially just trying to create, um, the life of living who you are and who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm excited. Yeah, it was deep stuff. Me too. Well, another one, another one in the books. Plenty more to come. I already have ideas. Every time we finish a podcast or get close to being done, I start having ideas of like the things that I want to bring up next time because of conversations that we had in this one. I'm like, oh man, I really want to elaborate <laughs> on this one down. thing we talked about. Well, what is it? Maybe we will go into it next week. What well, is it? Let we were going to talk a little bit more about failure and we touched on failure oh, to a yeah, degree. we didn't even get into it we barely Maybe got we'll into it, it in a and, and i was like oh something you said would have been a great 
thing for me to pick up on failure and I didn't and it's fine but I was like man that, w- that was a great uh, opportunity are you gonna remember it to talk about failure I don't but I just know oh. at one point in time I was like oh failure and then you had continued and I forgot about it but um, <laughs> plenty of plenty of good topics in time well now we still have that one in the bag so I'm sure that'll be the next <laughs> conversation I'm looking forward to yeah. it man yeah all right awesome that's it uh, episode of week number seven that was so we're excited for it, man. I can't wait till we hit 100. Ooh, I know. It's, it's going to sound, it's going to have a nice ring to it. It will. It will 100. 100 it will. episodes becoming hybrid. And soon we will be hybrid. So, all right, brother. Well, thank you guys for listening. That's it, y'all. You know what it is. We'll see you next week. Peace out. Later on.